0: Welcome to Preparing for Robots with your host, Dave Gerber. The future of technology and your place in the workplace are addressed here every week. Now, your host, Dave Gerber.
1: Welcome fellow humans. I'm Dave Gerber, your host of Preparing for Robots, and I'm so excited to kick off this episode of our international program, here on Voice of America's Business Channel. We have a great show lined up today and we have a very interesting guest. If this is your first time listening to the show, let me share some quick information. On Preparing for Robots, we have the opportunity to talk about the impact of all things digital on your personal, professional, business, and leadership future, everyone's future. And we will dive headfirst into this seemingly endless, all-encompassing, unknown digital revolution. I specialize in helping business leaders go after low-hanging fruit solutions to address costly pains associated with all types of organizational and personnel-related conflicts. Want to quantify how costly these conflicts are for your business? Go to ConflictCalculator.com and you'll see the cost of human conflict. So I help businesses increase collaboration, save money, and generate revenue by harnessing conflict solutions, from consulting to coaching, training and facilitation, to multi-generational hybrid solutions. I provide business leaders and professionals answers to all types of people-related challenges. As we prepare for robots, humans are going to have to maximize their performance, increase their creative problem-solving skills, their conflict management abilities, and better adapt to the changing business landscape. We're talking about losing 50% of jobs in the next 10 years. What does this mean? My goal with this show is to help bring the discussion to life So that corporate boards and executives leaders and professionals can better understand what is coming and what to consider how do we help professionals become the best version of themselves to help our businesses prosper we have to look at the digital world simplify the conversation and all be a part of the discussion so i'm here to streamline complex digital subjects with the help of content experts let's hear what they want us to know in a way we can understand we often don't pay attention because it becomes super technical and can even make our brain hurt. AI, AR, VR, all of it. And it's all crashing into us at the same time. How do we make sense of it? That's what this program is all about. We can help leaders from all different business industries consider the issues and then facilitate the discussion back within their organization. Let's get it started. So today we're looking at the digital revolution and its impact on the future of work. I'm of the mindset that many leaders and business professionals are just trying to navigate this and stay afloat in rough waters versus actually charting a course through it. And many have predicted massive global job loss and jobs changing how they're performed. And today we're going to talk about it. Ann Lair is our featured guest today. Her experience and end goal is to help organizations retain their top talent and not only survive, but thrive. So, she's worked with diverse organizations such as AstraZeneca, Merrill Lynch, American Red Cross, uh, Coca Cola, and Williams Sonoma. Lots of experience. And I'm really excited to have you, Ann, on the show. Welcome to prepare, Preparing for Robots. How are you?
2: Great day. Thanks much for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, we are here to simplify and talk about the impact of the digital revolution on humans. And as you know, we're going to talk about the future of work. To get us started, What makes it important for business leaders and professionals to start talking about the impact of digital on future jobs and work?
2: So the future of work talks about what's happening in the future, and then we can take it backwards and prepare leaders for it now. So if we know that AI is going to have an influence in 10 years in certain industries, we can prepare for it now. If we know that demographic shifts are going to shift drastically in the next 10 to 15 years. We can prepare our leaders for it now. So we need to start having these conversations now in for-profits, non-profits, government, everywhere, any industry, so that people understand, what can I expect? It may not be 100%, but generally, what are the trends? And then what do I do now to prepare my workforce who is current, my future leaders, and maybe even my product R&D team if I have to switch that up as well?
1: I, everything you're saying, it makes a lot of sense. Let me share something from sort of a parallel. Well, that's why we started preparing for robots, right? This whole preparing for all things digital. The interesting thing that I found in my experience of 15, the last 15 years, let's say of my conflict management work is that people, you know, preparation in the society is not something that people really are thinking about on a regular basis. We're moving so fast. People are working multiple jobs. They're paying for colleges. They're not slowing down. I had a publisher that I spoke to once and they, they said, she said to me, she said, we have an expression in the publishing community, which is preparation doesn't pay. Uh, you know, that's why there's four books on how not to get diabetes and 4,000 on what to do, you know, after you get it. And I think that's one of my frustrations, even doing this show. And I, and I hope my listeners understand, I'm sure. My listeners, wherever they are, are probably talking to the people that are around them going, hey, guys, pay attention. This is really coming. Uh, We need to get ready for it. And so I think that preparation key is huge. And I'm finding through talking to lots of experts that have come onto the show that people in many ways are really not preparing for this. I mean, It's kind of like Toys R Us not believing in the internet and then getting Amazon to outsource their stuff and then taking them over. So, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I absolutely agree. You are using personal examples. Let's move it to the organizational business examples. Think about how we report out, right? We report quarterly earnings. We have Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. So everything is very short term. We just have to get past the next quarter. Then we're going to add the budget. Then we're going to make the changes. So everything is very focused on the next quarter. Think about academic years, right? You have one semester, then you have another semester. So we have been trained from an early age to think of things in chunks. Not a bad thing. Chunking things down is actually a great skill. As a result, though, we have not been training our current leaders, our future leaders, to look out and be more strategic because they get rewarded for the next quarterly earnings or for the next quarterly budget. And so as a result, you're right. We don't always think long-term. And the impact, going back to your diabetes example, is huge when we don't do that.
1: That's, we're talking about a major impact here. You know, when we talk about the future of work, here's some recent Cooper predictions. They talked about flexibility and control. They said that 86% of respondents at least somewhat agree that they have a strong desire to work independently, which I think is interesting because some of the statistics that I've heard is that by 2030, no, 2027, which is less than 10 years away, that 50% of the workforce will be freelance workers. So I think that's interesting. A move towards 41% of non-independent workers say they expect to become independent workers in the next year. Two-thirds of employees agree that the future career paths will will be determined by workers themselves, not by their companies. No more eight-hour workdays. 63% say eight-hour workday will become obsolete. 68% 68% say the work that will be done remotely instead of in a traditional office. So, Ann, what's the future of work?
2: So, you've already hit on one of the trends. So there's four major trends. The one is the role of freelancers, what you just talked about, those people who do not want to get a paycheck from a company every two weeks and benefits. And so, as you think about it, exactly as you said, 50% of our workforce in the U.S. is moving toward that. So, that has huge implications on organizations. How do you prepare for that? How do you classify How do you bring them into your culture? That's just one piece of future work. I'll go on one more and then we'll stop and talk about both. Another piece that's really important as you start thinking about the future of work is understanding the role of diversity and thinking about this idea of majority-minority in terms of ethnic groups. Uh, By 2040, we are not going to have a majority-minority. We really will become the melting pot. Well, that's great. It's fabulous. And it also has implications in terms of education levels also has implications in terms of leadership. What can we expect from our leadership? We know generally it's going to be younger. We know it'll probably be someone of color. We also know they're probably going to have different education because not necessarily going to a four-year degree. And then we know, as you said, they may want to be working for themselves. So those are just two of the trends. I'll take a pause. What do you think, Dave?
1: I think this is really interesting stuff. Um, And I think that, again, it's a great we're really just trying to point out why people need to get in the game, uh, and it's and it's if anybody ever hears any frustration in my voice, it's because it's a passion for helping people and getting people prepared. I don't want to see people left out. We have a lot of people who want to fight these numbers. Uh, we we it's like it's in some in some ways this is like a secret. Uh, you know, I kind of have this theory. You know, as a conflict guy, that in many ways when we're talking about being so close to radical change, I wonder. Uh, and some of our listeners are going to have to deal with this ethical issue about getting rid of humans when they can bring in 10,000, 20,000 robots. I wonder if humans are actually making, if we're making ourselves obsolete. I mean, when you look at the behaviors that we're seeing in the workplace, when you're looking at the volume, if you go to conflictcalculator.com, you know, your company can figure out how much money you're losing due to human conflict in the workplace. And so are we going to see um, – leaders who are going to say, you know what, humans are obsolete. I'm not even going to spend money on training, communication, trust, and some of those things, because in five years, I'm going to replace them. What do you think about that?
2: I don't disagree that automation is already here. I don't disagree that automation can make us better in terms of organizational work. The piece that I feel very strongly about, however, Dave, is that humans are never going to be replaced. There is something that we bring, which is humanity, which is emotional intelligence, and also creativity. As you start to look at that and those types of things, that is going to be very hard to replace, and that is what creates innovation. That is what creates the next organization, the next product, etc. So, yes, we are going to use automation and robots to help us. However, what we need is that creativity and that emotional intelligence to be able to understand what is this consumer looking at? What is the problem this consumer is facing and how do we create a solution?
1: I think that's good. I think the one thing that, that I would add is heart. And I think that's the one thing that we will never digitally replace. And it's the one thing where we can capture and we're not gonna go down this path, but the soul, the spirit, what makes us distinct about being human beings, as you would agree, um that's where our roi is as as an employee and as a worker if i can't bring that and that's why i'm really a, a proponent is advocate i talk about conflict healing which is that if we're going to have emotional talents to be used on high performing teams we have to have rules for how we're going to play the game how we're going to communicate with one another and i think it's particularly important for the worker to be thinking about their own individual skill set because what happens is, is when jobs are decreased, the, the demand for the jobs that are left over will only go up. So, if you are not a nice person and you don't know how to communicate well, it won't even matter if you have emotional intelligence that you're faking, because we know emotional intelligence can be used by the dark side, right? But I think this is this is really interesting stuff. So, what do you? Th- which industries do you see are going to be impacted the soonest, uh, in your opinion?
2: Well, we're already seeing it all over industries. Uh, Trucking absolutely is getting hit right now in terms of automation. Uh, And again, you think about, okay, trucking, who's driving the trucks? So, we're going to have automated vehicles. Who's stocking the warehouses? We're going to have automation there. So, you may think, well, then we don't need people. Absolutely not. We need people still in the trucking industry, still in the warehouses, still in stocking to connect with the customer, to connect with the consumer, to help the consumer find their own vision. So we're going to use automation, no doubt about it. And yes, jobs will be lost, no doubt about it. And research is also very clear that when we start to see this, new jobs emerge because all of a sudden our brain is free to think of new ideas that we couldn't before because we're doing these different types of tasks that now automation can do. So trucking, manufacturing, those types of industries are getting hit already and they're really trying to think that through. And then as we start to go forward, I think the financial world is going to be hit hard. Uh, A little harder because of compliance, but absolutely we can start to automate that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about paying taxes, accounting. Uh, I've used this statistic before. If you're making less than $40,000 a year and you're not in a human touch field like teaching or nursing, in 10 years your job's not going to exist. I think in some ways there are so many questions and so many unknowns for the general population that it's hard to even imagine how this trucker and their knowledge, who's been maybe their 55 year old male, I didn't know that it's the number one profession in the United States is truck driving. Um, even though there's a shortage, I think what's going to be interesting is the gap, the people that have been doing it for so long, what are you going to use them for? And I think in some ways we don't even know the answer to that yet because we, in three more iterations of Moore's law, you know, in six years, we, we might totally see some way that their wisdom can now be used to project back into what we're doing. So I agree. I think that if when we talk about driverless cars, you're talking about every delivery. I mean, look at Amazon, they're running 44,000 square foot facility with three people, right? So we, we definitely are talking about jobs and that's the other reason why we want to have people prepare. Um, I'll give an interesting statistic when we come back from our break um, about whether or not we are prepared. Um, what are some of the technical tools people need to use to engage the workforce of the future.
2: So, I'm going to talk about a tool that may not be familiar with your listeners. And what it is, is it talks about what we call an organizational network analysis. So, we all know there's an org chart for an organization, right? Here's the org chart. Generally, it's a hierarchy. Here's who reports to whom. We all also know that work doesn't really get done by the org chart. And so, there's something you can do that's called an organizational network analysis. And what it does is it starts to create a map of how work is really getting done. It's a whole bunch of algorithms and tools. And what it says is, if there's a lot of things going on over there, where do I get my energy? Who do I go to when I need help? And you actually create, it looks like a spider web, Dave. And then you look at that spider web and everything is nodes. And you say, well, who's that person over there with 20 people around them? Well, That's a bottleneck. And who's that person over there who's by themselves? No one's talking to them. And it's a great tool to help understand How is work getting done? Then map it to how is work supposed to get done if we follow the org chart? And then finally, knowing that automation is coming, how do we then start to move forward? And so as you start to think about that, I really encourage you to look into what we call an an ONA or an organizational network analysis.
1: Why do you think people don't do that right now already?
2: Well, it's not very well-known. It does take some time. It's actually a very easy survey. You do a survey to figure out where do you get energy, where do you go from, Uh, but most people think that the org chart is being followed, and they think, well, it's just a communication problem with Ann and Dave. Well, it may be, but it also may be an organizational system, and we have to look at the system and figure out what's going on. So actually visually being able to see where are the bottlenecks, where are 20 nodes together, where is one node alone are these two teams talking to each other you can visually see it and it helps people understand oh that's what's going on in the organization
1: yeah it, it reminds me of a tool that I use which is Christopher Moore's you know sources of conflict tool you know that I know you're familiar with and helping individuals be able to simplify and find a, the sort of the primary source of what the conflict is I think this goes back to preparation I think this goes back to you know something that I think most organizations need to, if they haven't already, uh, hire a technical consultant. Uh, I think one of the areas that you talk about is human resources. I think that right now, and we had an interesting show with Enrique Rubio with on HR, and one of the things that HR people need to do now is they need to start to pull out the, the roles and job responsibilities and look and see what is a computer or digital going to be able to do in the next five years and figure out how to sort of strategically think about their training and their future employees now. Because, and, and I do, a lot of people know I have a black belt in Krav Maga, I do self-defense. You can't prepare for the attack the day you're attacked. It's already too late. And we've got a lot of these issues. What do you think about that? I'll give you the last sort of word before we wrap it up here.
2: I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think in preparing, we have to take time. It's what I call white space. That means we have to give our permission for white space, for taking time to have strategic meetings, to just think rather than going task to task to task to task. And so to prepare for the attack, whatever the attack is, we need to build white space into our day.
1: All right. It is time to hear some important messages from our sponsors. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice of America Business Channel.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Synergy
0: development and training helps leaders maximize human performance with standardized conflict management and professional development solutions in order to increase retention, save money, and generate revenue. Go to SynergyDT.com and use the Conflict Calculator to learn about your organization's human conflict costs and find out what our training programs can help you do about it. That's SynergyDT.com to learn more. Or email Dave Gerber questions and thoughts to questions at SynergyDT.com. Learn more about Dave's keynote speaking and podcasts, Preparing for Robots, The Conflict Healer, and premarriage Questions. Check any of your normal podcast sites, his LinkedIn page, and his websites, DaveGerber.com, DaveGerber.info,
3: and PreparingForRobots.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for Robots with Dave Gerber. If you have a question or comment about the show, Dave welcomes your comments by email to questions at SynergyDT.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you are listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice of America Business Channel. We are here with our international audience and my very knowledgeable guest, Ann Lair, and we are talking about the future of work. What about this, Anne? By 2030, Deloitte Global and the Global Business Coalition for Education predict that more than half of the almost 2 billion youth worldwide will not have the skills or the qualifications needed to participate in the workforce. When we talk about the future of work, are people going to be ready?
2: I think it depends what type of skills we're talking about, Dave. I'm a huge proponent of preparing leaders for the future, and what that looks like is less technical skills and more relational skills, again, because we have automation coming in. And so, people say, well, what do I need to prepare for? I I always say you need to have very high emotional intelligence, being able to read the room and be able to self-manage. You need to have very high creative skills. You also need to have strong collaborative skills because you're going to be collaborating with people from around the world. And you also need to have very strong decision-making skills. Those are skills that are not necessarily taught in a school, unless you go specifically to a management school to learn those things. So to answer your question, will people be ready with those types of skills? No, I don't think they will be because we don't put enough emphasis on them.
1: And I know for me, you know, my daughter may not think so, but she's actually very lucky because she has a father who specializes in conflict communication, emotional intelligence, creative problem solving. And I'm sharing those with her. I'm giving her a sort of an alternative education, like what they're not teaching you in school, but you know, that most parents can't provide that they're experts in other things that I'm not an expert in, you know? And so I think that's going to be, if you listen to Jack Ma uh, from Alibaba, he says, if you want your kids to compete with robots, you better change the way you educate them. And I've mentioned that before. And I hope people can start to be advocates for their kids to be thinking about "Oh, wow. Like my 12 year old, you know, who's turning 13 this month in five years when she graduates high school, I'm not convinced she's going to have the skills she needs. And I'm not, I'm not so sure that she's not going to waste a lot of time right now, not developing the skills you're talking about. Um, And so let me throw a couple more statistics at you before we continue. 38% of employees say that they're able to work from home at least one day a week. Employees allowed to work from home are 48% more likely to rate their job by 10 on the happiness scale with 10 being the highest. And 86% of large company workers would like to work from home one or more days a week, but only 26% do. And um, what do you think about that?
2: So there's a lot of things to think about there. Uh, I think right now we're moving into a lot of more flexible scheduling, right? So for example, I have a 13-year-old daughter as well. I have parents who are in their 80s, right? So flexibility is important no matter where you are, if you have young children, if you have older children. So flexibility is important. People always say to me, oh, millennials, they always want to work from home. Why can't they just stay at their job like everybody else? And what I always say is, this would have happened with the baby boomers if the technology was available. It's just not available. And so as a result, they got used to working in an office nine to five. Now I will say, however, that we do need to have face-to-face communications from time to time for important things. And And even if you are working from home, to always put on the video, whether it's Zoom or whatever it may be, so that you can pick up on those cues that you wouldn't necessarily pick up just on the phone. So, I'm a big proponent of remote working, as well as finding time to come together for team building, for developing relationships, and also for using technology, such as video, to help us make sure that we keep those relationships strong.
1: I think it's very interesting. I once saw, you know, the, with hologram technology, you know, you know, in the future, you could have, you know, one person in the room of 10 holograms or maybe not even, you know, one person really there, a miniature version of a hologram, which I'm assuming will be there because I've seen hologram technology in the past. So I think it's interesting. We're going to have to really deal with, and it's going to speak to organizational culture and values and sort of the things you're, you're saying are important which is to how do we ensure that we're creating the human connection, the heart connection um, so that we're staying, you know, we're all moving forward together and growing high performance teams and all that good stuff. You know, they even talk about how robots will one day be able to have emotional intelligence. So that's why I think that's why i talk a lot about heart because they'll never have a heart. Um, And so I think that that piece, that spiritual piece, um, which in the Western hemisphere, we don't like to talk about, I think that we're going to see more of that. I mean, I'm a certified Reiki master. I see the energy and how that can be used. You can see also uh, younger generations more open to finding other ways to find quote unquote work-life balance. I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, so I think work-life balance is important. I think it's never a perfect balance, though, Dave. I think what happens is, whether it is where you are in your personal life, that stage of life, young kids, older kids, older parents, where you are in work in terms of maybe it's a seasonal type of job, for example, accounting. So there's never a balance uh, that is perfect. However, I think, though, that if we are striving toward bringing more of who we are to ourselves and to the organization, that is a good thing. You talked about spiritual. I just want to touch on that. So Tony Schwartz talks about something we call the corporate athlete. And the corporate athlete talks about how do we become like a top athlete at work. Talks about physical, which is about food, sleep. Talks about mental, which is how do we stay focused despite all the distractions that are coming at us. Talks about emotional, which is what we've been talking about, emotional intelligence. And then also does talk about spiritual. His definition of spiritual is not about religion it is about our values. What do we value? So for example, one of my values is adventure. It's very important to me that always learning, always trying something new. And then how do we infuse that into our life, whether it is at home, at work, in between. And so as you think about this idea that you've been talking about heart and spirituality at work, that's a great way that we can infuse that into that robots will never be able to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, well said. So when you mention robots, in what ways are robots going to take over and be part of our workforce?
2: So again, robots are going to automate things for us. They're going to make things easier for us. They're going to be able to check on quality for us, but they are never going to be able to do the innovation and the creativity, which is what we are best at. So they're going to be able to take away the things that take up time, but not necessarily brain space. And they're going to give us that brain space back so that we can figure out whether it's a new product or improving a system or just a new idea that we can really put our energy there.
1: Yeah, and if you, if our listeners heard the first episode with JT Kosman on artificial intelligence, he talked about this concept that really humans need to focus on what humans do well and focus and not focus on what robots do well, right? You're never going to ever 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 compete with a robot if it's what robots are designed to do. the The, the deck is stacked against us. Um, and as we continue to have these behaviors that I'm talking about in the workplace um, that are increasing, crazy amounts of costly conflict, that stuff's going to be reduced. And we have to continue to, to do these behaviors that are positive because robots don't steal, robots don't cheat, robots don't have uh, give stuff to their friends, robots don't sleep, they don't pay taxes. There's a lot of incentive that businesses are going to have to want to automate and to go in this direction. They don't need health insurance Um, and so that's going to be interesting. So what do business leaders need to do now in order to set their employees up for success?
2: Definitely need to understand the trend. So we talked about two of them. One was about freelancers. One was about diversity. I want to touch on another trend about longevity. Uh, If you have not yet read the book, Dave, called The 100-Year Life, I highly encourage you and all your listeners to read that book, and it really talks about what to expect because of longevity. So my 13-year-old daughter is not only going to be healthy at 100 years old, she is going to want to still contribute to society at 100 years old. So, what does that look like in terms of her financial well-being? I mean, she can't retire at 65 unless she happens to hit it really big. So, what that looks like is we're going to have, right now, we have what we call the three-phase life, which is I'm going to study, work, retire. And in the future, for my daughter, it's going to be more like a five or seven-phase life, which is work, study, study, work, study work. And we're just going to continually be learning. And so as you think about that as an organizational leader, thinking about what opportunities am I giving for learning? Do I need to create an internal university? Uh, How do I want to welcome and value people who are 65 and 70 who want to come back to work? So many things to think about in terms of this whole idea of longevity, besides just technology and healthcare and pension and that kind of thing but really much more about the culture and what does it look like when a 25-year-old is managing a 75-year-old, which is going to be our norm in a very short period of time.
1: I think it's interesting. I think it's another thing that just popped in my head really is some of the warnings about the global environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're talking about, they've given us 10 years. Now, Hawking's, if you believe him, is what changed his prediction from 1,000 to 100 as far as the how long we have with this planet. I I don't want to get into that or debate it. I'm not saying it's valuable or not valuable. We can all agree that things are changing rapidly. Um, You can look at the radioactivity that's five times the level in the Pacific Ocean from the 300 tons of nuclear waste that's uh, pouring in from Fukushima. You can see uh, Russia, India, China polluting at at an enormous rate. Um, And so the question is how are some of these environmental and this is rhetorical, I guess, but as we suppose and we assume that we're going to be here and that my daughter, 12, God willing, will be 100, right, and healthy, as you say, I wonder how those predictions may change as we see these other environmental pieces really have a toll and an impact on people. Um, so, that, so that's interesting, you know, just in the larger scheme of things. What about how do we balance this human aspect with the technical aspect in creating leaders?
2: So we need both, right? Uh, and we also really need leaders who are broad and diverse. Uh, I was speaking to a, a professor at University of Virginia. And I asked him, you know, what is it about the people that you work with in terms of data scientists, that kind of thing? I assume that they're really good with numbers or something like that. And he says, well, they are. He says, but they're also really good in humanities. It's important that they understand how to connect the dots. Uh, technology, AI robots cannot connect the dots. And so he really stresses that it's important that we're going to have to have a marriage between tech and humans. We're going to have to know who has what strengths exactly, as you said earlier. And this ability to connect the dots means we need to have a background in humanities, maybe in languages, maybe even in art. So we're connecting the dots within our brain, and then we're connecting the dots between humanity and technology. And, And again, not too many... School systems really focus on that kind of the humanities side. Universities don't always focus on that kind of poo pooed go get an MBA, go do whatever. And really to kind of bring it back to if we're going to make the bridge between the two, because it's just the way it is, we can't stop it. How do we bring more of the humanities and our humanity to technology?
1: Yeah, and I think the question is, is who's going to pay for it? Because when we look at the reality of costs, skyrocketing costs of college degrees, postgraduate degrees, um, when you talk about this, which I'm a a firm believer in as a lifelong learner, which is kind of what you're talking about, this this leapfrogging of work to school to work to school, um, someone's got to pay for that. And we're going to have to really think about this. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't want to think about this stuff is because it's really huge. You know, as a sociologist, I mean, as a conflict guy, I walk into a room, I say, okay, how many people like conflict? <laughs> you know, nobody raises their hand. And I'm like, well, it's a growth industry. Tap into it. Mm-hmm. Right? But in reality, it's so, it, it's so bogged down with so many issues between race and ethnicity and, and class. And it becomes really big and, and really big fast. And it's people check out. And I think it's the same way in this. So I think people really need to think about how to chunk this and decompose this if we use the principle you talked about from the beginning of the show, which is start with the end in mind and work backwards. I think people really need to do that. I think they need to be thinking about their their professional career and looking and being honest about whether or not uh, the future of their industry, right? If you're working at the front desk of a hotel right now, you need to be thinking about another job. Because you're going to go into hotels, and they've merged the, when they're uh, nice hotels, the bellman with the customer service side, and now they're not there. They use a robot kiosk to drop your key out. So I think that people need to get real about looking at their own industry and see what's happening. Because as you know, it takes sometimes it takes time to go back to school. Maybe you can get a loan, and it's for a two-year program, and money's not the issue but um, you still have to do that two years before you need that job, for instance. Uh, Any final thoughts sort of here that you're thinking about?
2: I think the whole education system is gonna get it knocked on its head. I think the whole idea of four-year universities and then a master's and then a PhD Uh, is not necessarily going to be the way it is at the future. I think it's going to be much more what we call microbursts of learning, whether it's online or live. I think organizations are going to be looking at middle schools and high schools and figuring out how to get in there. And I think the whole apprenticeship idea is a very strong idea for where we're going for the future of work.
1: Yeah, and I think this is is a cultural issue because we have to, and and obviously higher ed is going to push back because that's their funding. And that's their money. There's no reason they don't want to, you know, fix it, something that they think isn't broken. Uh, so that goes back to the money. So, you know, how are we going to afford this? Uh, how are we going to continue to be lifelong learners? I think that's going to be really interesting uh, as people look to their own professions and others and look to their kids and say, hey, you know, how do I set my kid up? If my kid is in high school now thinking they were just going to graduate and be a truck driver. And do that and follow in the footsteps of their mother or father, that's that's not a realistic piece. And so I think another piece with this show is to engage smart adults who can help us all encourage other adults to be thinking about this, not only as ourselves and our colleagues, but our kids and are if we don't have kids, that's that's great, too. They can be thinking about children because it's the future of our society. And if we're not thinking about the future of our society, uh, I don't think we're taking this all very seriously. So, all right, got to take a break to hear important messages from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to look more at the future of work for us as humans. Maybe look at the differences for men and women and other information we need to be thinking about for our business and professional life for the next decade. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots. On the Voice America Business Channel.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Synergy development and training
0: helps leaders maximize human performance with standardized conflict management and professional development solutions in order to increase retention, save money, and generate revenue. Go to SynergyDT.com and use the Conflict Calculator to learn about your organization's human conflict costs and find out what our training programs can help you do about it. That's SynergyDT.com to learn more. Or email Dave Gerber questions and thoughts to questions at SynergyDT.com. Learn more about Dave's keynote speaking and podcasts, Preparing for Robots, The Conflict Healer, and Premarriage Questions. Check any of your normal podcast sites, his LinkedIn page, and his websites: davegerber.com, davegerber.info, and
3: preparingforrobots.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? You are listening
0: to Preparing for Robots with Dave Gerber. If you have a question or comment about the show, Dave welcomes your comments by email to questions at SynergyDT.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome
1: back. Great to have you with us for more. I'm your host, Dave Gerber, and you're listening to Preparing for Robots on the Voice America Business Channel. We're here with our international audience and my very knowledgeable guest, Ann Lair. Before I kick it back to her, I want to mention George Redis. He has a show on Voice of America Business Channel that I think you'll enjoy, Task Force 7. The subject is cybersecurity. It's Mondays. Um, Check it out. And let me ask you this. We're talking about the future of work. How does bias fit into all of this?
2: So bias fits in very well because one of the other trends as we talk about the future of work is the role of women in the workplace. Right now, there are more women-owned startups than any other type of startup combined in the U.S., Now, you may think, ah, but they're just solopreneurs. It's not that big. Actually, 20% of women-owned businesses are a $1 million plus. So this is not small potatoes. And you think, okay, well, that's interesting, but why? Why have women left organizations? And so as we start to think about it and look at it, lots of different reasons. Flexibility, which we already talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other reason as well is that, in general, organizations were built in the 20s by men for men. As a result, there is bias built in. Now, I want to be really clear. No one woke up and said, let's make a biased organization. However, there are inherent biases in these types of organizational systems. And women have said, I've had enough. I want to go start on my own and want to create my own set of rules. So bias fits in really, really well in terms of this whole idea of women in the workplace and the hemorrhaging that we are seeing of women leaving standard organizations to build their own.
1: So let's, let's investigate that a little bit more. For some of our audience members who might be saying, well, what are you talking about? Like, let's share a little bit more about the bias you're talking about. That, w- I mean, in the sociological space, we talk about institutional. So institutional racism, institutional sexism. So talk about what you mean when you talk about um, bias in these examples that women are experiencing so people have a better understanding.
2: Sure. So first, let's actually back up and define bias because people get confused and they think, oh, bias, you're a biased person, you're a bad person. It's not true. Bias is just a preference. That's all it is. Bias is hardwired into our brain because our brain's job is to keep us safe. And so our brain, say, for example, Dave, we're hiking in the forest and we see this snake come out at us. Naturally, our brain will tell us to jump back. It's not going to say, oh, go look at that snake. And is it a nice snake? Is it a poisonous snake? And so bias keeps us safe in a very primal sense. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing. Mm-hmm. However, when we go into modern day organizations and we see something, i.e. someone who is different than us, who looks different, who sounds different, who eats different food, our brain starts to go into alert like, "Ooh, something's different. I want to just go where I am safe. And so I want to be really clear. Again, no one wakes up and says, I want to be biased. Our brain does it to keep us safe. So, now, what, are- are the
1: bias, so what are the bias that you say from that, are, that somebody would say are patriarchal or pro-male?
2: Sure. So, uh, so I see it all the time. Uh, so, for example, this is a very funny story, but it's, it's exactly what happens. Uh, you have the C-suite, which is your CFO, CEO, etc. They uh, go out for an off-site. And then after the off-site, they all go out to the wrestling match, and then they have lots of beers until 3 in the morning, right? Has anybody asked, and it could not necessarily just be a female bias, is that really what everybody wants to do, or is that just what they always did? We always go out to wrestling matches, and that's what we do. And the point is, are we sensitive to the people around us, whether it is gender or not, who may not necessarily enjoy something just because it's what we've always done? So that's a very simple but a funny story. When I talked to the CEO, he was like, oh, I guess you're right. Maybe people don't like wrestling. I'm like, yeah, maybe you want to ask about that. Uh, so that's one example. Um, another example we see all the time is a maternal bias. So when a woman has a baby, uh, very often the opportunities are less. So, for example, someone has a baby, say, oh, you know what? We have this opportunity for you to move overseas. But, you know, what? she just had a baby. She's probably not interested. We're going to give it to someone else instead. Rather than just saying to the new mother, hey, we have this opportunity. Are you interested? Again, the intention is good. I want to help this person, new mother, et cetera. But what happens is as a result, there is less opportunities, less opportunities to travel, less opportunities to take on new jobs. And then as you start to look at the equity, less women make it to the top.
1: I think it's very interesting because the, the subject of buy it's not an either or, right? I mean, there's plenty of men who right now are experiencing um, the difficulties of speaking up and speaking out loud because of a fear of um, uh, any kind of a response back that would impugn their reputation or, or you know, Osmo Weo, he has some maxims about communication. And one of them is that, you know, the other person always knows better than, than us what we meant to say, right? I mean, so... I think there's 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 it's an interesting how some of these institutional yet some of these personal bias, um, along with the hardwiring that is just is like for instance I'm a big fan of Myers Briggs, not necessarily in the flashy glitzy way it, it can be rolled out, but when you look at temperament in particular, how pro- people process information and how the introversion extroversion piece, you know you're looking at multiple personality hardwiring types. And so now we're looking at more and more and more variables that people have to think about as they have interchanged with one another. Uh, I think another issue that's interesting that's come out in the news recently has been this um, this discussion, and I don't want to mention a company's name because I don't remember which one exactly it was, but they had to pull back on a software because they found that it was biased towards um, against women, kind of like what you're talking about. And so maybe some of that is around um, the people who are actually programming and who's involved in the actual programming of these programs. Now, before I let you answer that, I will say I do think that there are lots of problems, particularly in the hiring space, of how uh, AI is going to impact and leave a lot of really great candidates out um, because they don't have enough keywords, etc. But you, you take over. What do you think about this stuff?
2: So I I can see your point about AI and recruiting, and I think also the other way AI can actually help in recruiting, because there's a lot of bias that goes on in recruiting, right? You look at a name. Oh, did they go to the same school I went to? Oh, they're from the same area I'm from. Oh, they also do rugby. Uh, And so when that happens, again, our brain is like, oh, I like this person because this person is like me. Again, our brain doesn't do it on purpose, but it's trying to create shortcuts to keep us safe. And if I'm with someone who is like me, therefore, the brain rationalizes that I am safe. So, as a result, we have so much bias in hiring and research after research. If you look at NYU and Columbia, finds that you have two resumes, exact same resumes. Uh, the only difference is the name. One is a female, one is a male. The male will get called more often. If you have two resumes- Is that
1: still the case?
2: Still the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, You can also about race, right? You have one name that is more of a European sounding name, one name that is more of an African sounding name. The European name will get called. It's even
1: it's even happening intra because I just read a story. I think it was Harvard who just found out that there was there's a lawsuit that just happened with respect to Asian standards.
2: Yep. Yep, it's Harvard. You're right, it just came out. So so again, no one does this on purpose. I want to be really clear about that. It's what we call unconscious bias or UB. Like we don't even realize we're doing it. Which, by the way, if your listeners have not taken something called the implicit association test, I A T, implicit association test, really encourage them to go online. It's free, it's 20 minutes. You can pick what it is that you want to talk about, and it really helps you see your biases. But back to automation, so I think that automation is a great place that will help us as humans in terms of what we call blind resumes. So in terms of stripping out all that information and being able to look at a candidate objectively rather than letting our bias choose someone just because they're like us.
1: Yeah, and I think something that you've stressed, which I think is really critical that people hear just from a human, human side, is that <clears throat> it's not intentional. And I think for me, that's important from a conflict perspective, because if we can all agree as a baseline, it's not intentional, we can apologize to one another in advance and say, hey, we're all going to apologize to one another for anything that happens. And let's use this as a springboard for discussion and communication about it. Now, I'm a firm believer that people don't really ultimately have conflict management skills when it comes to difficult subjects. That's why I specialize in it. But I mean- If we can all agree that we're coming in neutral, we're not coming in with, we're all coming in neutrally understanding we're all biased, right? And so, we don't need to hold each other, you know, um, and spend our time blaming, shaming, and complaining about those issues. We need to use it as a springboard for moving forward. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the piece about automation and robots, right? So, how can we use them, as we talked earlier segments about matching with our creativity, but also how can we help ourselves be our best selves by letting automation do the best in terms of when we look at someone to make sure that we're not having a biased perspective, which we do all the time.
1: Yeah. And I think the biggest thing with this issue is going to be a gap period. There's just going to be a gap period. I don't know how many years it's going to be. Maybe it's a decade where there's going to be a lot of people who are going to lose their job until everything writes itself. It's kind of like, you know, people. Some people study biology and some people sociology. Until we can see in front of us what those industries really are, and I'm also a firm believer that we have to start to look into. Uh, what are all we going to do with all the kids who are not math and science and and gifted in that space? Uh, Yes, we talk about there's a place for them, uh, leading teams, facilitating dialogue, and those types of things. I'm not so convinced. Uh, In fact, I'm pretty sure from my experience of teaching high school and teaching educators, we're not prepared in the system that we have, and it's going to take some real boldness. Uh, I'm actually starting a Uh, a television segment, internet television segment for educators. Um, Hopefully they'll check it out. It's going to be on Disrupt Ed TV. It'll probably be out in a month or two where I'm going to start speaking to educators and administrators, talking to them about cultural issues, discipline, how to change the shape uh, of how we're uh, rehabilitating students very easily which will help to fit in this preparation of communication skills and uh, empathy and accountability. I mean, that's why we have all these problems in the workplace, because we have pathology. You know, in the case of bullying, people get bullied in kindergarten all the way to the uh, the senior home. Um, and we haven't stopped anything in between, and that's mostly the fault of the education system. Um, so if we can see that change, I think we'll be able to see uh, technical skills changed because now we'll be able to actually teach content more uh, than having to do with a lot of the classroom management stuff that weighs down, you know, teachers and educators. Also, educators are going to have to, at the state level, are going to have to start to get real honest about whether or not they're actually graduating kids that are prepared for the next the next workforce. That said, I want to switch over. I've got some surprise lightning round questions I like to ask. They're really easy. It's been a great interview. I wish we had hours to continue to talk, but before you go, a couple quick questions. One thing you love about technology. How fast it is. One thing you dislike about technology.
2: When it's not user-friendly.
1: If you could have a robot do anything for you, what would it be? Cook all my meals. I tell you, that's a popular answer to that and cleaning. Uh, <laughs> four, what will humans do in 30 years if jobs have disappeared and shifted?
2: They'll build stronger relationships and community.
1: If people want to know more about you, Anne, where should they go?
2: They should go for Center for Human Capital Innovation, uh, centerforhci.org. You can also just look up my name online. Uh, if anything you want to talk about in terms of leadership, management, humanity, give me a call.
1: Excellent. You know, this has been a great interview. It's been great to talk to you about the future of work. We've been able to cover a lot of different subjects. You know, unfortunately, we're all out of time this week. Hopefully, we've energized you on a Monday and for the rest of the week as well. This has been awesome and another great episode of Preparing for Robots. Check this out. Dealing with human workplace conflict, communication, emotional intelligence, creative problem solving, the ability to do these well is the future for humans, businesses, and organizational employees. As I've said, it's really our ROI. If you want to talk more about that or the impact of all things digital on humans, email the program, email me, questions at SynergyDT.com. Tune in next week for our show where we might look at the impact of digital on crisis management or the stock market or talent retention, blockchain, crypto. But for now, we have to go. Wishing every human on the planet a great day today and a jump start to the rest of your week. You've been listening to Preparing for Robots and the Voice of America Business Channel. I'm your host, Dave Gerber. I love you.
0: We are out of here. Thank you for listening to Preparing for Robots. Join Dave Gerber next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy the week.